Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Chicago, what do you say? This is the Spicchio Cubs podcast, and we have a perfect Father's Day gift idea for you today, a special podcast with some special guests. As normal, Luke Stuckmer and Cody Del Mendo with you on a Cubs off day after they went four and six on their road trip. But we have two special guests with a book, come, or else currently out already, and you can get it for Father's Day. ESPN's Jesse Rogers is one author, then the co-author is Mr. Bruce Miles, 31 years covering baseball, 22 as the Cubs beat writer for the Daily Herald. Uh, guys, first of all, congratulations on getting the book out in time for Father's Day. Did you have fun putting this thing together? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I got to go back to my youth, guys, and that's always fun, right, when you became a baseball fan. Yeah. Um, 80s 90s for me my earliest memory is really the like 1980 team um it was like uh jerry was it i can't remember the center fielder now but von de jesus would lead off with a ground out or a strikeout buckner would double kingman would either strike out or home run that was my first inning as yep. my youth now i actually had to advance a few years because i started with the suckcliffe years I, I talked to suckcliffe and dempster and um guys like that ryan samberg gary matthews the 84 team for a bunch of different chapters for so for me it's just going back to my youth which is which is the most fun you can possibly have as a baseball fan in my opinion yeah i had a blast writing this as well i go back a little further than jesse i remember the 1969 cubs so that was one chapter in the book and of course as a beat writer i wanted to take a look at some of the subjects i covered firsthand uh like the, the managers dusty lou and joe and some of the other things with the added benefit of time and distance to maybe look at things, how I viewed them then, how I view them now. And I went all the way back to uh, 1938, talking about Gabby Hartnett's homer in the Gloman, which I think is uh, one of the most important home runs, not only in Cubs history, but in baseball history. But it was kind of forgotten at time. So yeah, I just had a, a wonderful time researching, writing, and interviewing about 15 people for this book. <laughs> Can't have too many people, right? No. <laughs> you know, Bruce, when I look at this thing, I mean, yes, they won the World Series in 2016, but if you're doing a history of the Cubs, so the book is called The Franchise, Chicago Cubs, a curated history of the Northsiders. And again, it's it's out right now. You can get it just in time for Father's Day. But when you go back and you have 108 years of losing, how do you get, how hmm. do you find enough positive spins and stories within the book to keep the reader interested because obviously Cubs fans are diehard fans 
but you've got to find something that's positive or different in the book, right? That, that allows you to keep turning the page because 108 years of losing up until 2016, that, that, that's not a book I want to read. This one, as I've started reading it already, has some great stories, whether it's the stars, the managers, the trades, the pranks. What What's your favorite part of putting this book together? Yeah, that's a very good question. And you talk about the losing. Well, the 69 Cubs, even though they had a winning record, they, they kind of kicked off the whole lovable losers thing because here was a team that collapsed down the stretch, yet they are one of the most popular teams in Cubs history. I remember going to conventions and these guys like Beckert and Ernie and Billy were all there and the, the room was packed because they wanted to hear stories of 69. You would have thought that that team would be ridiculed and not loved most popular team in Cubs history. So that was a chapter that I wanted to find out why. And we get into some of the hows and whys of that. And and the others, my own curiosity as a baseball historian was, was piqued by the 38 homer by Gabby Hartnett, the Brock for Brolio trade, speaking of losing in 1964 and some of the other subjects. So I think that what I wanted to do was tell the story and let the chips fall where they may as far as uh, positive, negative, winning or losing. Yeah. And Luke, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because part of their lore is losing. And there's yeah. a reason they were called the lovable losers. So to document that, May not be fun for people to go down memory lane, but I think it is interesting. He does, Bruce did the 69 team. I did the 0 and 14 1997 start, which is still <laughs> an NL record. And I got Doug Glanville on the phone, Jim Riggleman, a few others, but we went game by game through those 14. And like I said, maybe it's not the best memory for a fan, but I do find it kind of interesting. But there's so many other things to talk about, like Bruce said, whether it's winning or losing. Like, I wrote the chapter on pranks um, and Bruce wrote about uh, managers and their personalities. And, and so there's, there's, there's a lot more than just, Hey, did they, did they win the championship or not? There's personalities involved in all this stuff. And that's what was enjoyable. I feel like Sutcliffe might have the best personality out of a lot of the people just based off, like listening to him on broadcast and stuff for years. I feel like he, he might have the best personality out of all of them. He, he was the toughest guy to get off the phone. I could have wrote yeah. a whole book just from <laughs> Suckliff alone. So uh, the pranks that he was involved in, I, I've told the story a couple of times. Maybe I, I won't reveal it all here, but just read the one on him with, with him and Terry Francona. It had me crying as he was relaying it to me on the phone. Yeah, I, I love the one, at, and I've heard this before, but where he's talking about sending the uh, bat boy out there looking for keys is it's in there. It's pretty keys classic. The so there are some yeah. great prank stories uh, throughout it. And, and your guy, Tommy LaStella, gets like the last word in the book, Jesse. Come well, on, this, this is your buddy. That's Jesse's a, guy. Yeah, that's a famous one where he, he, he put a bounce house in the parking spots of, of for Theo and Jed. I mean, that's an those are two intimidating guys. And you're the 26th man on the roster. That was a gutsy call. But Jed and Theo have a good sense of humor. But boy, did they get him back with putting stuff up on the, the scoreboard at, at Sloan Park. So I had to include that one. And there's a Schwarber prank in there on Lester. It's just... That was a lot of fun to write that chapter. And I know Cody and I have talked about our first Cubs experience as a fan, as kids. I'm curious what you remember about the first time you went to see the Cubs play at Wrigley Field, whether it was as a kid or whether it was as a reporter or either experience. For me as a kid, it was I went and they were playing the Expos and 
I had my first Little League hat on and a, and a seagull pooped on my hat <laughs> at the ballpark. And I was stung by a bee for the only time in my life. And I still stayed a Cubs fan for the rest of my life and then became a reporter. So I'm curious for both of you, what's your first Cubs experience? Well, for me, it was, and you mentioned Father's Day, and my dad took me to my first Cub games uh, in 1962. We had a black and white television at home back then, believe it or not. And <laughs> when you walk up the, from the concourse and into the stands, all this beautiful green hit me. I remember being five years old in 62, seeing the green vines and the green grass and the bright blue on the, I sound like Pat Hughes here, a lot of blue in the Cubs uniform. <laughs> but seeing all those bright colors and then, the second game I went to that year, I got to meet Ernie Banks in the dugout. And behind me somewhere on that bookcase is a ball that Ernie signed for me that I still have 60 years later, whatever it is. So those are kind of my first going with my dad and, and seeing just the, the, the beautiful colors and how they just popped out at me. Yeah, I have like a million stories. I'll try to limit it to maybe two or three quick ones. My first game was also with my dad. The thing I remember most is we were in the sun for a while, felt great. As soon as the shade came, it was freezing, and um, my dad bought me a, a, a Cubs sweatshirt, and my dad didn't always do that, you know, but just spend money aimlessly or whatever like we do today with our kids, I feel like. So I remember getting a sweatshirt, and Barry Foote walked off uh, the Cubs, bases loaded, hit one off the top of the wall, almost a grand slam, but I was hooked from that day on. I used to go um, very early in the morning when the bleachers were general admission, I'd line up at 7 a.m. And I, I'm pretty sure Murphy's was there or whatever, you know, and they were selling hot dogs that early. I remember having my first hot dog like 7.05 sitting in line. And I especially did that when Harry Carey broadcast from the bleachers. I sat next to him at least twice because I was there so early. Um, so those are some of my other memories. Uh, there's a couple others. Oh, here's a good one. My dad, uh, I don't, this had to be a little bit when I was older, but my dad also taking me and classic dad moment. This is when Pete Rose tied the record at Wrigley Field, and he got the tickets before the season started. Who knew the Reds would be in a position where he tied it? The ticket was the hottest ticket in town. He got him in February. He was his favorite player. We go. He ties the record. If you recall, the game goes into extra innings, and my dad, classic dad moment, wants to beat the traffic, and we leave, and we leave, and – it, was that the moment where was that the one where Pete Rose hit it off of Lee Smith's back? Now I'm mixing my memories. But anyway, he didn't set the record. And I was for a moment livid with my dad because uh, we left in like the eighth and then it goes into extra innings. I was at the game before that, Jesse, and I have this photo. It's funny. My mom just had old photos digitized. And now the photos that I took on a dis like disposable camera or whatever it was. They're all backwards. So you look at it and Pete Rose is standing on the wrong side of the field. Like somehow they flipped him in production. And so I have this photo and I was looking at it and I couldn't figure out. I'm like, what's wrong with Wrigley Field? Why does it look so weird? It got it got screwed up. So we, we could have run into each other maybe. Yeah. Um, what about as far as players go? I mean, Gabby Hartnett, that that's before my time, Bruce. That's that's up. You're you're going to cover that in the book. I assume Jesse didn't write that part, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I wrote that. It was before no, yeah, my yeah. time, too. Yeah. Well. Let's, not, let's not age Bruce too much. And by the way, let me, before Bruce says, that's our first chapter, and I really think it's one of the better ones. It grabs you because, again, it's a player I didn't know a lot about. I just know the Homer and Gloman, but I don't know much yeah. past that. Well, the reason I wrote about it is it was been kind of stuck in my craw for a long time that – 
This is one of the greatest players in Cubs history, Hall of Famer. And he hit one of the biggest home runs. It didn't win the pennant. A couple of days later in 38, they won the pennant, but it propelled them to that. But you, it wasn't on TV. There were no TV then. It was on radio, but there's no tape that we know of. There's no film. There's only a few still shots of Gabby coming around the plate and, and whatnot. So I wanted to kind of find out the backstory of this. And as an added bonus, the Cubs put me in touch with his granddaughter, a woman named Joanne Bebrock. And I sat down with her last year and she told me about Gabby, the man, and how he would go to clinics. And there was a day it was pouring rain and the kids thought, nah, he's not coming. And he came and you know, did a clinic for the Cubs at some park in Chicago in the pouring rain. So to me, I wanted to do that story a few years ago in the Cubs Vineline magazine when they had it. It never panned out. So this was the perfect chance for me to get this out of my system. So so my version of Gabby Hartnett is Andre Dawson, 1987. Yeah. And the story behind him um, coming to Wrigley Field, it's been told in different manners over the years, but uh, the whole blank check uh uh, situation. He showed up and said, I'll, I'll play for anything. And Dallas Green called his bluff and gave him $500,000, which was a huge pay cut. Um, so I had Andre re revisit that. Um, still a little bitterness to this day about it, which deservedly so. I mean, completely lowball, but man, it's a fascinating uh, story. What star player shows up without a contract? And he was ready to do it to Atlanta if the Cubs had said no. He was going to go around to the teams he wanted to play for until somebody said yes. And then he wins the MVP. Just <laughs> insane. Just insane. And I loved talking to the Hawk, one of the classiest players you ever, you ever, uh, you ever meet, the classiest people you ever meet. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, Shohei will do the same thing and just kind of roll out the empty checkbook and say, go ahead, whatever you guys want to sign me for. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk a little easy. bit about that later, but I don't know. If, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. No. Go ahead, Cody. <laughs> no, the, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, we've heard a lot of stories since 2016 about that team and everything. It, obviously, I don't want you guys to just reveal, but is there anything about a particular player or coach or something that maybe fans wouldn't know were at before this book came out? Because as we know, there's just been so much that came out since the 2016 season. Yeah, you know, for me, it, it deals with Joe Madden. I have that chapter in the book where people want to jump all over Joe for his handling of the pitching in the last couple of games of the World Series with some justification. Fine. Yeah. But the Cubs were down three games to one in that series. They were left for dead. And you know what? Joe was the same guy every day. We would meet with him, the beat writers, in his office before the game. Music was going. He talked to us about what was on the TV or in the news. Never panicked. And I think that filtered down to the team. So I, I think that Joe's role in winning that championship, people say, oh, they won in spite of him. No, that's not the case. And you can pick apart any manager's decision about pitching or whatever it was. But I think his demeanor, and he said this from day one when he came here to Chicago, he said, I'm the same guy on May 15th to August 15th to October 15th. I think that played a really an unsung role in the Cubs keeping their composure and being able to rally from three games to one down. I, I want to bring up something about one of the 2016 players since you, you brought it up. But, you know, it's funny to, to go inside baseball, pun intended. Bruce and I wrote so much about 16. And like you just said, there's been a lot written about it. We kind of didn't dive into it as much as maybe a volume two might. Like as we get some more distance, as Rizzo retires, as these guys maybe move on, because their stories are still being written. So we talked about individuals, 
in certain areas, but we didn't do a lot of chapters on 2016. Um, as far as surprises, Ryan Sandberg surprised me. You'll, you'll read about it in the prank section. But here's the other thing we did write about. Um, we wrote about trades, best and worst trades. And I was thinking about this today, getting ready for the show. Jake Arrieta, Ryan Sandberg. I almost view those as equally great trades. One produced, helped produce a championship, but the other helped produce a Hall of Famer and a 1984 and 1989 division title. And they were and the guys they gave up in both trades, man, not great players for the other teams. I wonder if how you I wonder how you guys feel. I I can't it's splitting hairs trying to choose one trade over the other in terms of which one was better. I think they were both great. Well, the funny thing for me was. Rhino was always um, kidded about being a throw-in in that trade because the Cubs got uh, Larry Boa in that trade. And, and and Rhino and Larry would kid Rhino about this. And I talked to Rhino at the park last year during the Cubs Hall of Fame ceremony. And uh, he gave me all the time I wanted. And he likes to laugh about being called the throw-in mm-hmm. in that trade. Well, he started out at third base. Uh, got off to a rough start in 82. They moved him to second base. And, and you know the rest of the story. But, yeah, that uh, those two trades, you look at the, the return, those were steals. <laughs> and Strope was yeah. almost the throw-in on the other end, yeah, right? Absolutely. Jed, Jed demanded Strope. He wouldn't make the trade without him. Um, and, and boy, did they unlock something in Arietta that the Orioles could never do. So I, I think they were two of the best trades. Now, of course, we documented a few bad ones, but we don't need to do that here. <laughs> no, that, that's why I would, I would rank Arietta because it led to a, a World Series championship is number one. But if you're talking about long-term impact on a franchise, the Sandberg one is just, it's insane. And I love that that chapter started with that line about if he was a throw-in, and it ends later on. He's talking about how Ryan Sandberg made sure Dallas Green was at his Hall of Fame as his guest, right? Not as not as a member of the Phillies or anything else. He wanted Dallas Green there as his guest because he completely changed the path of his career. He still might have been a great player, but he turned into one of the all-time great Cubs, and his his life was forever changed by that trade. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because when one of the parts that I like about the book, and I know we're plugging our own thing here, is some of the backstories like that. There are things, you, you know the basic history, but these little things like Rhino inviting Dallas Green uh, to the Hall of Fame, that's pretty touching and pretty nice and pretty poignant. The other thing was, you know, the, the move to second base and... Uh, Jim Fry taking him and teaching him how to pull the ball and hit for more power rather than being a spray hitter. Those two or three things really made a big difference in in his uh, career trajectory. It's funny. My daughter the other day asked me to hit her some ground balls. She plays softball and she wanted to practice diving for balls. And I said, that's kind of a hard thing to practice. It's more instinctual. And then I said, you know what? Cubs had a second baseman that famously didn't die, but he made the Hall of Fame. Just make the plays you're supposed to make. And, and if, if, if instinct takes over, you need to dive, go ahead and dive. But remember, Bruce, when people would criticize Rhino because he didn't oh, dive? All over the place. And it's like, wait a minute. He knew where to position himself yeah. so that he didn't have to. By the way, she, Before the analytics. By the way, she made, she made a diving stop the other day after we practiced it. So I guess I... I guess uh, I was wrong because she actually did try to practice it and it was, it was crazy, but she made a diving stop in, in a game the other day. So uh, sort of thank you to Rhino for just guiding me on that one. Um, Cody, Cody, about those players, like they mentioned Sandberg, 
the Sandberg trade and the Arietta trade. What are some of the other ones we've talked about? I'm trying to think of and where well, we would rank those, right? Like, yeah, Aramis so is one. Uh, Aramis, Aramis is one. Yeah, Gary. He's, he's in the book. Gary, That's in the book. Okay. Uh, Gary Ross in the in the chat mentions uh, the White Sox and Cubs trade with for Sammy Sosa. Ah. Uh, everyone, um, Old which for Annette. He, uh, you know, he, he, he made the fan base bigger in, in, in some as in aspects you can look at. Um, so yeah, Rizzo, I mean, Rizzo. and Rizzo, yeah, Rizzo, Rizzo. and, uh, the Aramis one is kind of underrated since it didn't lead to winning, but they did, they did have a, a third baseman for, you know, a long time after that, who was. And Kenny Lofton too, and part of that yeah. deal. So you mentioned, so coach Cody mentioned Sosa. And I know there's a whole chapter on Sammy because although he hasn't been welcomed back by the franchise, any, any fan I've ever talked to would, would associate Sammy Sosa with the Cubs almost as much as Ernie Banks, because the generation of Ernie Banks fan is getting older and older and older. And, and yes, I know the same thing is happening for Sammy, but I'm curious where, you stand as writers about the whole Sammy Sosa thing. Cause I know where Cody stands on it. <laughs> and, and I, I lean towards what Cody is. I, I believe the Cubs at the very least should welcome Sammy back. Um, I know that's not a, a popular thing with Tom Ricketts. He's kind of decided he doesn't want to do it. I believe they should put the olive branch out. I, Sammy's never going to admit what he did. That, that is, that is not happening. A, do you think he should be those? Some of those guys should be Hall of Famers, and B, should the Cubs welcome back Sammy Sosa to Wrigley Field? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I address all of that in the chapter. I think yes, it's high time that he's welcome back to Wrigley Field. Now, I did not vote for him for Cooperstown, but there is an easy off ramp here for Tom Ricketts. The Cubs have their own Hall of Fame now, and I, full disclosure, I'm on the committee that votes for players for the Cubs Hall of Fame. If we vote Sammy whenever he's on the ballot, and I hope it's this year, to the Cubs Hall of Fame, Tom Ricketts can say, hey, look, I had nothing to do with this. This independent committee voted him to the Cubs Hall of Fame. Now, if that happens and you don't invite him back, then you look silly and you look petty. So I, I think that that's the perfect off-ramp uh, for Tom Ricketts uh, to, to welcome Sammy back. It's high time. McGuire was welcomed back in St. Louis. Bonds was welcomed back in San Francisco. This has got to stop. So a couple yeah. things. I, I, Bruce and I were talking about this a little bit the other day. I, I, I do think it would be a little awkward if he's voted into the Cubs Hall of Fame and the team is forced to bring him back, All right? That's going to be a little weird. I think they should do it before that. And look, when we talk about welcome back, it's not managing. It's not, <laughs> it's not even necessarily being at Wrigley Field. The Cubs convention has so many former players there. I don't understand why you can't invite him back to do one of these on the stage, walk across like a beauty pageant and just wave and get right. off the stage. That seems like the minimum they could do. They could probably do more than that, get him up in the broadcast booth for an inning, whatever it is. Um, second thing is I, I, I did not have a vote. I just voted this year. So I luckily didn't have to, you know, I kicked that down the road when he was eligible, but I would not have voted for him. I would not have voted for someone that quite obviously was helped to Hall of Fame status by, by something illegal. Quite obviously, why? Because nobody in the history of the game hit 60-plus home runs in three out of four years, whatever it was, 
and then nobody since has done it. Like it's it's pretty obvious. So I would not have voted him in. I would have voted Barry Bonds in because I think he had a Hall of Fame career before that. Everybody has a different way of dissecting this thing. That's that's my way of dissecting it. So those are uh, some of my Sammy Sosa thoughts. But um, uh, here's my final one. He played for the White Sox, played for the Rangers. But if you're the White Sox, why not invite him back to the South Side? Oh. You really want to tweak your your cross <laughs> town rival? Invite him back for a day there. He's a former White Sox, had some good years there. Wow. Well, the only thing I that would be so petty. <laughs> yeah, it would be really petty. The only thing I could Jesse likes to stir the pot. If you don't know that about Jesse, he stirs it up. Uh, the only thing I think about the Hall of Fame is. First of all, I, I think they could just have an era and, and put a lot of the players in it. But it's, it's difficult because I know a lot of the players that are in there will say, well, right on the – Rhino will be one of them that will say right on the crest it talks about doing it the right way. And 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 so I, under, I understand that part of it. My problem is that there are players in the Hall of Fame who certainly did steroids. And – some of I, I can think of one catcher. I'm not even going to say his name. There's a catcher in the Hall of Fame that I know did steroids. Like, right. absolutely, we know he did steroids. So, and he wasn't nearly as big to the game of baseball as Sammy Sosa or Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire. So that's the part where I think it gets it gets iffy. I don't think there's any question the Cubs should welcome him back because that again, this is for the fans. And I know the baseball hall of fame is the writer's hall of fame. It's not necessarily the fans hall of fame, but the Cubs a hundred percent should bring Sammy back. That's just my thinking. On What do you, yeah. what do you think about other guys being in the hall of fame that cheated? Well, well let's look at it this way. Yeah. Gaylord Perry is a, is a confirmed cheater. He admitted it in his book. He threw a spitball in the era when the spitball was illegal. He's in the hall of fame. So why don't you kick him out? Or was that fun cheating? Because it was the <laughs> spitball and boy, he did all this kind of stuff to fool the batters. Um, you know, how many players are in the Hall of Fame who cheated one way or another? We don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my attitude is I probably wouldn't have voted for Mike Piazza <laughs> since, you, <laughs> you know, since we're going to say names. I, I probably, so that's my attitude. If I feel like their Hall of Fame career, and again, that phrase, if I feel like, is already a very subjective thing. But I, I feel like their Hall of Fame career was made because of, of putting something in their, in their body then I'm not going to vote for him. If there's any doubt either way, maybe I would give them the benefit of the doubt like Bagwell and Vigio and guys have had. But I just know that, look, Sammy's a a, a victim of, of how many home runs he hit those years. Like he went so nuts that it became so obvious to me, at least. If you kind of kept it at a level, you know, for a while, but you were really good and still took steroids, maybe you could get away with it. So it's very subjective and very awkward. I don't disagree with that. What about what about Sammy just being, you know, a, he was a bit of a prima donna. I don't even if I can say a bit. You know, he, Bruce, where does where does he rank among guys that uh, walk through that clubhouse where you say, well, that guy was uh, a lot to handle. Well, yeah, he was probably at the top of the list of that. Uh, you know. He, and I get into some of that in the book. He always seemed to be wanting or craving something. I don't know if it was respect. I don't know if it was attention. And some of the people I've interviewed in the book get into that. But yeah, he was uh, total high maintenance. And, and the Cubs PR staff at that time did a really good job in trying to manage that. There were days when Sammy was just a delight. Great quote and 
friendly. Other days, you just didn't know what mood he was in. And he wasn't always the most popular guy with his teammates. And I'm not just talking about the Mark Graces and whoever, but the, even some of the Latin players were, it was a little bit too much for them at times. He was in a lot of ways, to me, it seemed on an island in that clubhouse. Didn't have a whole lot of friends. Few guys could relate to, I mean, how many superstars do you have on the team? Not very many, one or two. So a few guys could probably relate to what he was going through or the talent he had, but yeah, he was, uh, he was definitely right up there as far as a handful to deal with. I would say fame probably changed him some. I think he was kind of a, just a regular player when he was a regular player. But when he went nuts and the whole uh, the, uh, the spotlight came on him, a lot of guys in that situation would purposely try to deflect it. He really didn't. He accepted mm-hmm. it, which was fun in an entertaining way, but it, it, did dist- it did put some distance between him and his teammates. Uh, we've got to take a quick break for a couple of our sponsors. We're talking to Jesse Rogers of ESPN and Bruce Miles, longtime <clears throat> Cubs beat writer. Their new book is out, The Franchise, Chicago Cubs, A Curated History of the Northsiders. You can find it right now in bookstores. You can find it online. Great gift for Father's Day. Uh, I've started it, kind of skimmed through most of it, and it's uh, there's a lot of fun Cubs stories for a diehard Cubs fan out there. If your dad or your brother or maybe you want it for Father's Day, uh, it's worth checking out. But, Cody, I want, I'm want i curious about the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program because dads like saving energy, too. <laughs> they like those bright lights, right? I spend uh, half my days turning off lights. <laughs> the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program is committed to helping families and businesses in the communities they serve, helping manage energy usage and lower energy bills now and into the future. That's right. ComEd offers a wide variety of incentives on lighting and other efficiency upgrades to commercial, industrial, and public sector customers of all sizes across the territory. ComEd also offers free facility assessments that can help find energy-saving opportunities, like for HVAC systems, commercial kitchen equipment, or industrial processes. How does it work? Well, Cody, an authorized engineer will work with you to develop a detailed assessment plan specific to your goals and needs. They can be done in person or virtually, and they last about two hours. Then within three to four weeks, customers receive a report detailing energy efficiency projects that they can start working on right away. Each recommendation will include estimated energy savings, cost savings, project costs, potential incentives, and simple payback. If you own a business, don't wait. Get started saving money and energy today for energy saving tips, lighting incentives, or to schedule your free facility assessment, go to comed.com slash poweringbiz. Did you say comed.com slash powering biz, Luke? That's it, Cody. Schedule it today. And while you're at it, you know, dad might want some tickets to the upcoming uh, baseball series. Maybe want a pre-Father's Day gift and go out and see the Cubs play the Pirates or the Orioles or a future home series. Maybe he wants to go to the Crosstown. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easiest way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best deals are absolutely guaranteed. You can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Jesse was probably pounded with the Taylor Swift ideas from his daughter. It's just my guess. Did yeah. you did you pull the trigger on that? Did you go to Taylor yeah. Swift? She did. I didn't. I wasn't going to oh, pay for, wow. I wasn't gonna well, pay for two tickets. Because that's how <laughs> you stay. You yeah. wait till the very last minute, and then you get those deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, and theater. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. 
So snag those tickets without the stress. Use Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Create an account. Use the code CHGO for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem with the code CHGO for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Welcome back to the CHGO Cubs podcast. We have Bruce Miles, Jesse Rogers, ESPN, Cody Del Mendo. Bottom left, I'm Luke Stuckmeyer. We're talking about their new book, uh, the franchise, Chicago Cubs, a curated history of the Northsiders. We're also going to pepper you guys with just a few questions because since we got you here about the current Cubs. And I think the most interesting thing that's come out is because of the losing over the last month, right away we've turned, our podcast has turned from this well, they could make a run for the postseason to most people kind of looking at it and saying, you know what, even though this division is terrible and they could make a run, where are they going forward from here? And when Marcus Stroman tweets out that he's reaching out to the team and wants this extension but isn't getting any feedback, hasn't had any talks about it, where do the Cubs go specifically with Stroman? Because – He's obviously a trade piece if they want to go that route. Jesse, what do you think? Okay. Is it a is it a clear cut black or white option here for them? No, it's not. Not yet. That's the problem with the timing of this all. Teams like to keep their options open as long as they can, and first decision comes August first or July thirty for whatever it is, and then the next decision if he's on the team comes when he opts out or right before he opts out. So. The key thing here is just because they haven't offered him anything now doesn't mean they won't. But I think Jed is just keeping his options open. I'm pretty sure he'll say something to Stroman or his agent before the deadline, maybe make an offer. Maybe they'll go to him and say, hey, things aren't going well here. We're going to get a stud prospect from San Francisco or the Dodgers or the Yankees or whoever. And then let's engage again after you opt out. Maybe you'll come back. It's happened before. And if it doesn't happen because he wants so much more money than the Cubs are willing to give, well, then at least the Cubs got a prospect back. Um, the, the, the bigger decision is, is whether to give up on this season. Luckily, he's got a month and two weeks to figure that out or, or so um, because it's a weird situation both central divisions are in, under 500 but not out of the race. So um, he doesn't have to make that decision now either. So that's my feeling. He, teams want options, and until the very last minute – He's going to keep his options open. Yeah, I think the Cubs are in a really dangerous position as far as looking at the season because you can fall into that trap of, oh, there's plenty of time left and it's a bad division. I think fans of both teams in this town are saying that, and I think it's a really bad thing. I think by this time, we kind of know who both teams are. If you look at some of the peripheral stats like run differential, expected one loss record, where they stand in the key offensive and pitching categories, to me it doesn't look good for either team. And I'm not buying into the whole weak division and uh, plenty of time left. So, And then like Jesse said, they're in a tough spot. Stroman put them in a tough spot. And you know what? It's a negotiating ploy. Good for him. His record being what it is allowed him to make that tweet and to talk to reporters about how he wants to engage. He wants to put the, the pressure on them to get a new deal in here because let's face it, he likes playing here. Everybody who comes here likes playing here. So I, I think that the Cubs are in a bit of a tough spot here. Fortunately, like Jesse says, there's still a little bit of time to, to sort it out and figure out exactly what you're going to do come the end of July, first part of August. 
Yeah, I, I think the tweet itself won't even register on Jed Hoyer's radar other than it being a distraction. My point being, I don't think it's going to change the stance of the team at all. If anything, it might change it in a negative way. Like, dude, we're 10 under. What are you doing? You know this is going to go viral. You know there's going to be headlines out of this. You know you're making us look bad. Um, if you weren't pitching well, we wouldn't tweet something out opposite. Like, you know, yeah. we're not engaging because he's not throwing well. Uh, not that he said it that way. I, I, I love everything that Marcus Stroman's been about with the Cubs. He really has pitched well and been a great teammate and citizen. But I just don't think this tweet does anybody any good. I would agree. I was actually like, it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily surprised with what he said because after they got the extension done with Hap, Jed Hoyer openly said that they weren't probably going to be talking extension with anyone else the rest of the year. And then the, like, you know, the team hasn't played well and Stroman has been carrying them in his starts and stuff. And it, like, it just kind of started this, this whole thing. And I did, I will say that. I respect his decision to do it just based off wanting to get ahead of the narrative that can be formed. And so uh, I, I kind of sat with the same idea thinking like the Cubs have to keep their options open and, and, you know, they, with how bad the division is, if they can get back to 500, maybe, maybe they're thinking differently about the deadline in a month from now, rather than, you know, right now, obviously. When Jesse, you mentioned the idea of coming back, uh, Hamill did it. Um, Chapman went back to the Yankees, but it, it doesn't happen that often, right? Like usually if a guy leaves, they're, they're professional athletes. There's still usually a little bitterness unless something's been, you know, worked out ahead of time where he's like, okay, go ahead and do it. Cause think of all the fans that were like, man, they should do that with Rizzo or they should do that with Brian or they should every time we say, well, that is an option. If you're the Cubs, the other danger is if if you do trade him and you get a prospect, okay, great. Guys like Cody down there in the corner are sick of seeing players go out as well. Like, sure, they need to keep out, keep their options, but if he's not in that rotation, who's left next year? Who are you going to sign that's going to replace him? Because frankly, they may not have enough now to be competing. Because if you're not competing in 2024. How do you sell that to your fan base? Because your other guy, Steele, right now has he's been great, but he's got an injury going. Kyle Hendricks, well, he could be in the same situation. Hendricks, Smiley could be in that situation at the trade deadline. Stroman could be in that situation. Bellinger, how do you? They had too many holes this offseason, is the way it looks to be competitive this year. How do you avoid that same situation next year? Yeah, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that oh. he's he. No, I'm not saying I know. that you can't uh, that he's not valuable and he's needed. He absolutely is, or a pitcher of his caliber is needed. What I'm saying is, you keep your options open as long as you can. So one scenario is to extend him right before the deadline. Another scenario is to give, uh, shake his hand and say, "Hey, wink, wink. We're going to trade you. Help us out with a prospect here, and then." We'll make you a good offer afterwards. You're right. There's no guarantee on that. Yeah. I'm just going through the options here because what's the worst option? They don't trade him. They can't come to an agreement. He opts out and the Cubs get nothing for a, a, a pretty darn good pitcher. So that I'm just going through it all. And the way he's talking about how much he loves the Cubs, what is that? You Rizzo, Baez, they all said the same thing. What does that usually signal to, an, uh, to a front office or an owner? You love this so much, this scenario? 
well, you've got to play ball with us. You better take a hometown discount. You can't ask for the max because why would we sign you now if, 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 for the max if when you go out to the open market, you may not even get that max. You know, see, you know what I'm saying? Like if you need an early signing, then you've got to play some ball with us. And we don't know if that's the case or not. What about Bellinger and some of those guys? Uh, of the list that I gave you guys, Bruce, if you look at, let's see, Hendricks, Stroman, Bellinger, Smiley. How many of those guys do you think will be here after the trade deadline? I would have to think the, the, the pitchers probably will be here after the trade deadline. Bellinger's a health question. Hopefully he can get back healthy. We're off to a really good start. But uh, I, I got to think that if things go the way they're going, that all options are open for uh, Jed uh, Hoyer and Carter Hawkins to make trades. It's interesting. We've been talking the other day about how this is really with Stroman, a reflection of the times we live in because years ago, there was no social media players. Couldn't get it out unfiltered. Then I I'm sure that the, the good reporters covering the team would have asked sometime between now and the trading deadline to Stroman, Hey, you know, when are you going to get out there? But he was able to kind of get out there on his own unfiltered with social media. So that's a whole different dynamic that we're that we're playing with nowadays where players can kind of control that narrative on their own via Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, their favorite the social media tool. But I, I, I got to think that all all the options are open here. And, you know, is it or if you do get rid of some of these guys, is Jed going to finally have to admit they're in a rebuild, you know, and how far along? Uh, you know, are we in the, the current non-rebuild that's a rebuild? So, you know, tough situation on all fronts for them. Yeah, I always say, guys, that, look, if you're not going to make the playoffs, you got to get something out of the summer, and that usually comes on July 31st, right? Like, you can't just play it out and get nothing out of this this year, and then a couple guys walk. Um, Kyle Hendricks, Marcus Stroman, I mean, Smiley has a, a contract for next year, so – you have to think about it. Like Bruce said, all options have to be available. You have to do what's right for the organization, not just for the moment in time. And, the, and emotionally, you might want to keep those guys. But if you're out of the race, or you think you're out of the race, then you got to move them. Yeah, it's a, it is a tricky, tricky situation. And the other name that always comes up around this time, it'll be all season long, especially since they just played him as Shohei. Obviously, I don't, I don't know how you feel about his possibility – uh, as a free agent, I'm curious if you think that in order the team that will end up with Shohei Otani will also potentially be the team. Do they have to be the team that would trade for him if the Angels were to be out? It like, for instance, if a team trades for Shohei, which I don't think necessarily should be in the Cubs' interest because you've tried to build a farm system, and while it may not be the farm system of 2014, 2015 it's better than what you had before. So if you trade half those guys away and then give him 500 plus million dollars, what are you left with? Well, yeah, you better make damn sure that he wants to be here if you're going to yeah. trade for him. Because if you yeah. do that and you're stuck with a rental, it, which the Cubs probably won't be in because they're not in contention. But yeah, I mean, the other thing is, where does he want to go? Where is a comfortable landing spot for him? Southern California is really nice. The Dodgers would look awfully attractive. Jesse and I have talked about Seattle, too, with the Japanese population there, the history with Ichiro. So with with any of these things, there's always two sides to the equation. And how much longer is he going to be an effective both pitcher 
and hitter. Now, I'll take one half if we're going to say three years. Well, the other two or five years on that contract, if he's really good at one of the other things, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good with that, too. So I think you have to look at, you know, where he feels comfortable as well. Yeah, I don't think the Angels are going to trade him because they're kind of in the playoff race. Um, and I just think I think Perry Maniason, the GM, would do it because they could really restock his team. I don't think the owner will do it with one shot here with Trout and Otani to make it. There's some feeling, and I'm not, I don't know it as, you know, as much as other people maybe out West, that he might re-sign with the Angels. I mean, so if that's the case, they'll definitely keep him. Um, but yeah, it feels like the Cubs are a long shot for several, several reasons. One of the top ones is probably that they're just not a marquee franchise year after year winning. You know what I mean? Um, I'd I just see him joining a team that's that that's sort of marquee in that sense. The Yankees, the the Dodgers obviously come to mind, although it doesn't sound like he wants to go east. So, yeah, it just feels like a long shot. And that's the real shame of it, Jesse. You said they weren't a marquee franchise year after year. That's what the Cubs fans were promised during the first rebuild, that we're going to build a foundation for sustained success here. We heard it over and over and over again from 2012, 13, 14. They, they were a year ahead of schedule, maybe in 15, but it hasn't panned out that way. And I think that's the, the real shame that we're back to talking about the Cubs as being, you know, well, maybe we'll do it next year. What Maybe we'll do it this year. It was supposed to be different. It's such a great point, guys. I mean, they really should have been the L.A. Dodgers. They should have been the L.A. Dodgers, uh, and kept, especially in this division, in, this, in the mm -hmm. Midwest. I mean, they could have owned the entire Midwest if, if they were this powerhouse team that had waves of, players and then made tough but good decisions i mean andrew freeman said bye-bye to Corey seager and they haven't missed a beat and this is but then he brings in mookie betts or freddie freeman and then they keep they bring up bring up farm guys it's just a great sort of cycle that happens in la that should have been happening here now maybe jed will get it right this time around but i think theo and jed admittedly got it wrong in terms of that sort of continued success they had the window but the window closed and nothing was left afterwards I'm reading our YouTube chat that goes along with the show. And I would say on a nightly basis after we do a post-game show, especially after a loss, but sometimes even after wins, there's always the fans that will say David Ross needs to go. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. When would Jed Hoyer be on the hot seat, Bruce? You've seen so many managers go through here. And, and frankly, I've liked almost every guy that's gone through that dug out at Wrigley Field. Almost every person I've dealt with, I thought, well, he was a really nice guy. I do think he knows more about baseball than people give him credit for. But where, where does when does Jed start to fall on a hot seat for some of the moves that have or haven't happened? It probably should be happening now. I don't mean that he should. That there should be talk about him being fired. But yeah, let's take stock and look what's happened since Theo Epstein left and what direction that we think we're going in. We don't know how Tom Ricketts feels as he wedded to Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins for the long term. Now, Jed was certainly there when they won the World Series, but I, I would think that legitimate questions could and should be raised now, not to say that you're uh, pounding the drum to fire the guy, but my goodness, it's a results-oriented business. You're in the biggest market in the, in the uh, division. So, uh, you know, and fans, you know, fans want to see results. I would say it depends on what Jed has told Tom privately. If he has indicated this thing's going to move quick and it's not moving quick, then he's on the hot seat. If they've privately sort of understood that this was going to take a while because of two reasons, 
One, all those 16 stars were up at the same time and ended up walking, which might be the right thing in, in hindsight. And two, there wasn't this wave of players that came up behind them. What's what's the answer then? This is going, this was always going to take a while. If Jed has said that to him in all honesty, even if it was privately, because they don't want to say it publicly, then I think he's okay if Tom understood that. If he's sold ownership, a bill of goods about something quick happening here, um, knowing the Reds have a loaded farm system, the Brewers aren't going with the Cardinals aren't like if he sold them a bill of goods, then he should be on the hot seat. Wow. Um, Cody, I was going to say, uh, we're going to take one more quick break. We got a couple more minutes. Uh, Bruce Miles, Jesse Rogers, uh, spending a lot of time with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, their book is The Franchise, Chicago Cubs, A Curated History of the Cubs. They go back from Gabby Hartnett all the way through 2016 and up until today. And as I mentioned, it ends with uh, some great pranks that are mentioned in there. If you like behind-the-scenes stories from Chicago Cubs baseball, there's definitely some of that in this book for you uh, from Jesse and Bruce. I also want to tell you about Goose Island, another thing Dad might like for Father's Day. Chicago's beer since 1988 and also the beer of CHGO. The beer roster, the Goose IPA, the six-time medal winner right now. Uh, the Tropical Beer Hug, 312 Wheat Ale, Full Pocket Pilsner, which is the new one that Cody does after he likes to chug it from the beer bat after a Cubs win. The, so far, the beer bat's been a little dry. So we're it's been dry lately. It's been, it's been dry in the studio. So now we're going to hope that picks up a little bit during this homestead. Grab ultra-fresh brewery-exclusive beers at Goose Island's original brew house on Clybourne Avenue in Lincoln Park or from their tap room on Fulton Street in Westtown. That's a great location. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer. Also, uh, Jesse, Bruce, I don't, I don't know how much you know about uh, CHGO, but I'm about to teach you here. Uh, we got podcasts, live shows every on every team, not just the Cubs. Uh, here in Chicago every day, uh, post, pre- and post-game shows. We got premium written content for members at allchgo.com. Uh, we got a bunch of t-shirts over at chgolocker.com uh that if you become a diehard you get 20 percent off uh you get 20 percent off on all events that we do as well uh if you become a diehard and of course when you do sign up to become a diehard you get a free shirt uh we and as uh, kevin is showing here these are some of our new shirts that we dropped uh at the beginning of the year uh and then of course you get to be part of the members only Discord, uh, I see a lot of names in our chat right now that are part of the Discord. They're always um, either celebrating a Cubs win or venting about a Cubs loss. It is a roller coaster every single day in the Discord, but it's a lot of fun. So uh, if you're not a diehard, you should become a diehard because uh, it makes the fan experience of following all these teams that unfortunately are not good a little bit easier. Absolutely. You know what? I uh, work uh, for NHL.com as a freelancer, and I sit next to the boys, Jay and the guys. Jay Zawaski does a great job. Really the place to go for uh, some really good Blackhawks and hockey coverage, especially with this draft coming up. And my, oh, guy, yeah. Ryan, and my guy, Ryan, I sit next to or near in the press box, and he's a pup reporter. I say that because he has all his hair, and it's not gray yet. But stay, <laughs> stay on the Cubs beat. It'll get gray. It'll get gray. It's either going to turn gray or fall out or both, right? That's the way it works. Uh, RWB says in the chat, you never read my super chat. Damn guys. I'm hurt. I just read it. <laughs> RWB. There you go. Did he have another $50 one? Super chat. Um, oh, his original super chat said vote for Dansby guys support him. And by the way, hi Cody. What's up, Alex? Yeah, no, no, no Cubs, uh, leading all-star voting that 
I, I'm so used to Bruce, the years we covered, you know, the heyday, you know, it was Brian, it was Baez, it was somebody. Wilson Contreras as recently as last year, no Cubs in the first ballot, at least. Swanson would be the one potential starter, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I was surprised to see the- Matt McClain have more votes than him this morning. It's amazing. And as I go back to the days when they were putting like eight guys on an 08 with Kerry Wood and Fukudome and Derek Lee and these guys. So yeah, it was always a ritual, you know, you talk to on that day when the rosters were announced, boy, we got six guys to talk to. 16 was amazing. <laughs> I, I covered yeah. it in San Diego, the four starting infielders just, I mean, where is the, where have those days gone? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, quickly. But, yeah, I know, but that's that's the nature of it. The, the goal is to to get back as quickly as you can. But man, uh, like like we've been talking about, the Dodgers just never never have that drop off. So um, Cubs got to get there and then stay there. I'm curious what you guys think of um, Christopher Morel. I mean, he's a big fan favorite. His energy is undeniable. His potential is undeniable. But as I watch the Cubs try to figure out third base for the future. And I I know Patrick Wisdom's there and he had a great April. I think most fans thought that Morrell was going to get some playing time at third base, even though he didn't play there a lot at Iowa. Now, while I see him move around a lot, how difficult is it for a player to do that? I know we hear the comparisons to Ben Zobris, but I've said they may not be doing him a favor. Even that's even though that's what the organization would love him to be, would the Cubs be better off served finding a position or DH and letting him be that for a while until he develops more as a player? How do you how do you find the right path for a guy like Christopher Morrell in your organization? Yeah, I think it's very difficult to quote Ron Washington in Moneyball when it's talked about playing first base being easy. It's very difficult. I, I think that the the with the DH now in the National League, I think it affords you some options. And that's a whole nother topic we can talk about. You know, the DH came to the National League and civilization as we as we knew it was supposed to end. That's not happened. Nobody said a word. But I, I think that that option gives you some flexibility to ease a guy like Morrell in and, and maybe start him two or three days at a certain position. But it took guys like Ben Zobrist a long time to accept and excel at that role. So that, that's another difficult one where I think you need some really deft handling by a manager, but I think the DH helps you a little bit in that situation. Uh, yeah, I, I do think they're doing a little bit of a disservice to him. Uh, Zobris had to do that to break into the big leagues. Uh, Joe Madden ta- has talked about it. He, he was he was forced to move around a little bit. Uh, the Cubs don't have a World Series contender right now. I don't think they have to force him to move around. Look, his offensive game is very volatile. I think anything, any pressure you can take off him to work on that part of his game would be would be a good thing. Now, I don't think he's played an inning at third base this year. I, it's pretty obvious they don't they don't mm-hmm. trust him there. And I, I don't know. Look, it's so, very soon this is going to turn into a different kind of season if things continue on. When when we get to that point, and I don't necessarily even mean August first, maybe sooner than that. Stick him somewhere and just let him play every day and let him learn and let him figure it out. Let, let it be third base because that's the that is really the opening you have in the near future and the place you need power. You're not getting sustained power in left field, it looks like. Maybe not even in right field. And it doesn't seem like PCA is going to have a ton. Maybe Mervis, well, you need third base to be that position. So let him learn on defense. Let him learn on offense. Maybe we're not quite there yet, but if this season continues the way it is, he needs to play almost every day. 
Yeah, it just makes the most sense to just even to just put him there at third with especially with the way wisdom has played since April ended. Like I the fact that they are willing to put him in left or right field, knowing that he isn't hasn't been great in those positions either. It's kind of like then why won't you put him in the one spot on the team that is open for almost anyone? So I don't blame fans for having questions about that in particular, because it to me it just doesn't make any sense. So um so your guys, I want to get back to the book real quick before we let you go. The franchise Chicago Cubs, a curated history of the Northsiders, Bruce Miles and Jesse Rogers. Uh, the book is out right now. You can get it. Uh, they've been covering the Cubs for a long time. I'm curious if you guys have anything that didn't make the book. If you have either one of you has a story that you thought it's good, but we can't go five more pages because if we go five <laughs> more pages, that's too far. Is there a story that fell through the cracks that you maybe in hindsight say, well, that's for chap. I already heard. I already heard Jesse say there may be volume two coming out. Like <laughs> we're out for a week and I hope you're up for that, Bruce. He's, he's, he's already got a second book on the way. Well, yeah, I th think we'll go in the studio and record something here next year. Maybe, I don't know, <laughs> like the, the bands do, but you know, uh, the, we've talked about this before that there were, when you have a, a team with a history that goes back, what, 140 years, something like that, there are going to be certain things you can't get to. I was fortunate that I was able to, to, to um, get a few things out of my system. But, heck, I'd like to go back to Tinker Evers' chance in the early 1900s. I'd like to talk about William Hulbert, one of the first executives of the Cubs who shaped their history. Cap Anson, who has a very controversial uh, uh, legacy in, in the early part of the game with uh, wanting to keep black players out way back when. I want to look at the post-war Cubs, why they were so bad after 1945, and it took them 20 years even to, to get good. So there are a lot of stories. But as far as what's in the book already, I mean, I think we all left it like the players say. We left it all out on the field. And if there was a subject we covered like Kerry Wood or Sammy Sosa, I, I think I drained the tank on all of them. Yeah, Bruce Bruce knocked it out of the park. I would just say this. I agree with Bruce. Like He, he just mentioned some things that go way back in history. And... I didn't want to miss the opportunity to talk to some of these players that are still with us and going back to my childhood, but I don't disagree. I wouldn't mind examining the way back because this franchise is, is, is so, so deep and so storied. You know, I wanted to write about the Ivy, but you can't interview a leaf. So I, <laughs> so I, I, I put that aside. And I, I, and, and so it was just, I think we just wanted to interview people that were, were still around and, and could give us color and context to, to the Cubs in their careers. But I think, you know, going back to the 20s, 30s, 40s, the aughts, you know, would, would have been interesting as well. You guys have been to pretty much every ballpark, I would assume, at this point in baseball. I would actually probably been to every one of them. I've been to maybe three quarters. It, where does the Cubs experience rank in your eyes compared to other major league ballparks? Other major think, league activities. I think it's right at the top. I mean, and I think I give them credit. People talk about the renovations and turning the area into Ricketsville. That area out on Gallagher Way is really nice. You see families out there playing catch and whatnot and enjoying a day in the sun and having a drink before they go in. But I, I think it's it's among the, the top. I've been to Fenway for Cubs Series there. I really like that a lot. And I don't think when you go to St. Louis, I don't think there's a better atmosphere 
Cubs Cardinals in St. Louis on a hot weekend in July or August. It just seems to bring out the, the best. And I don't think the worst. I think it's fairly similar for the most part. But I think that the Cubs experience is, you know, right at the top. I think that's been proven over time. When we started the show, we were talking about our youth. I swear to God, for a while there, I did not know that not every ballpark had ivy and not every ballpark <laughs> wasn't located in a neighborhood. I just didn't, I didn't understand that when I was 10, 11, 12. And so right off the bat, they're in the team photo of best because of the neighborhood like that, you know, you drive to Kansas city is a great ballpark, but it's way off. It's off the highway that, you know what I mean? Like that Philadelphia, it's kind of off a highway there and that's a cool area, but it's not just, you could live. I used to live on Waveland. Like it's insane that it's right there where people live and, and you can't take that for granted. It's certainly among the best. I mean, I've only not been to Minnesota. That's the only ballpark I've not been to. Um, but I would say the one somewhat in a neighborhood, um, Boston, obviously, Fenway Park, San Francisco, sort of, right? It's on the bay, but there's, you know, people live there. Those are the ones that are cool. They're just, you know, you can live across the street and go to the game. We've taken up an hour of your time. We appreciate it. Is there anything else you want to tell us about the book? Any place special that you people might get it that you can't that we haven't mentioned or anything at all? I think you know just the usuals. Amazon.com, really easy to order there. Your favorite Barnes and Noble, wherever that might be, whatever city or suburb you live in, and don't forget your independent bookstores too. I think uh, it's all over the place. So wherever books are sold, and <laughs> and the, and the. And the, and the best chapters that you like, Bruce did them. Trust me. <laughs> You're too kind. Hey, and for the next book, if you guys need a Tony Campana chapter, Cody's your guy. If you need something from Michael Barrett, I might be able to add in on that. I like that. I like Tony that. Campana is my guy. So yeah, yeah. If, you, if you need extra sources for volume two, you guys let us know. Uh, Jesse it. Rogers, the ESPN, Bruce Miles, longtime writer, uh, beat writer for 22 years covering the Chicago Cubs. Guys, Thanks for your time. Good luck with the book. Happy Father's Day to both of you. And uh, thanks to everybody in the live chat for checking out the CHGO Cubs podcast. We'll be back with a pregame show before Cubs and Pirates coming up on Tuesday. Until then, fly the W. Thanks, guys. <laughs>